Well, welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us this week at Willow, whether you're watching at home at a watch party or maybe you're watching with a a member of your family or joining us at one of our Willow locations. We are so grateful to have you as we continue our series that we've been calling GOAT, which is all about Jesus being the greatest of all time. And we just believe if we follow Jesus as the one who lived the greatest life of all time, if we follow in his footsteps, we too can live a life that is uh, full of, of peace and joy and meaning and wonder and our hope is that we would be people that wouldn't miss out on this, this kind of life. You know, as, as I think about missing out, I'm, I'm reminded of an article that I read not that long ago. And it was of some different movie actors that missed out on the opportunity to play some of the most iconic roles that we know in movies. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the movie, I'm going to give you the actor's name, and I want to see if you can guess who the part was originally offered to that the person originally declined. And so, again, if you're watching us at a watch party, you can shout out the answer to somebody in in your area for watching online by yourself. If you have time, you can even take a guess in the comments section. Uh, Here is the the first movie. The first movie is Forrest Gump. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? Uh, We all know the main character Forrest Gump was played by Tom Hanks. Uh, won lots of Academy Awards. I think Tom Hanks won Best Actor for that particular picture. But did you know the role was originally offered to someone else? Any guesses? John Travolta. Can you believe that? I mean, who would have thought that the, the lead guy in Saturday Night Fever and Pulp Fiction would have been Forrest Gump? He calls it the single greatest mistake he made in his entire movie career was turning down that particular role. Uh, here's another one. Uh, how many of you have seen the Christmas movie Elf? Love Elf. Really iconic movie. Uh, the lead actor, Buddy the Elf, was played by? Will Ferrell, obviously. And uh, did you know that Will Ferrell was not the original ask for that role? There was some, somebody else that was originally offered the part. Any guesses? It was actually Jim Carrey. And the reason that Jim Carrey turned it down is he had already starred as the Grinch who stole Christmas, and so he didn't feel like he could steal Christmas joy and then also try to bring Christmas joy at the same time, so he he turned down the role. But here's my favorite. Uh, How many of you are fans of the movie trilogy Lord of the Rings? Okay. Do you remember the character in Lord of the Rings? His name was Gandalf. He was the wizard. Now, in that movie, uh, the wizard Gandalf was played by a guy by the name of Ian McKellen, I think he's better known as Magneto from the X-Men, but uh, Ian McKellen's his name. And did you know that that part was, again, originally offered to somebody else? It was offered to the one and only Sean Connery. And what's interesting about Sean Connery is not only did they offer him the role, they said, if you said yes to the role, we will give you 15% of the gross revenue of the movies, which would have equated to $436 million dollars. Now, the reason he turned down the role is because he thought to himself, I don't really get it. I don't really get the storyline. Bro, what is there to get? Uh, There's a hobbit that finds a ring. Evil wants the ring. Hobbit's supposed to destroy the ring. Wizard's supposed to protect the hobbit. Sean Connery collects $436 million. I I don't know what there really is to get about that story. I would call that's another case of somebody who really just missed out. Now, the reason I talk about missing out is is we're going to lean into a narrative today on on a couple of people who missed out. And so as we continue this this series that's called The Greatest of All Time, specifically looking at Jesus as the greatest of all time, today we're going to talk about what it means to be the greatest neighbor. And I want to take us to a very familiar passage that maybe a lot of us are very familiar with. It's, It's located in the book of Luke chapter 10. It's actually a story that Jesus told about a couple of people who missed out. 
And he tells the story so that we might lean in in such a way that we would not be people who miss out and we really embrace the idea of what it looks like to live a life following Jesus as the greatest neighbor. And so if we really want to be somebody who doesn't miss out, the first principle that I think that Jesus is going to teach us is we have to remain open. We've got to be people who remain open. Uh, Here's the story for us. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 25. It says this. It says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And you must also love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But then catch this statement. It says, but the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Now, it sounds like an innocent question, right? This, this religious leader who comes to Jesus asking the question, Jesus, what's the greatest commandments? Jesus responds to his question by just asking the question right back to him, what, what do you think? And he got the answer correct. You're supposed to love God. You're supposed to love people. The two greatest commandments. He must have heard Jesus say that at somewhere in the journey. And so intellectually, he had it right. But notice that his motive for his question was to justify himself. And so he asked the follow-up questions, well, who is my neighbor? And the reason he asked that question is because he's trying to not find out who I am supposed to love, but he's trying to find out, Jesus, is there an out clause? Like, is there somebody that I don't have to love? I mean, if there's somebody that's like, it's just, they're just too far gone, they're just kind of a little bit too much an outsider, and, and Jesus, can you tell me not only who I'm supposed to love, but can you also let me know who I'm exempt from loving? Because he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he had all the right answers intellectually, but his, his life didn't yet fully match what he knew to believe. And so Jesus begins to define a little bit what it looks like to truly define what a neighbor means. But I can give this religious leader a a hard time of of somebody who wants to justify himself, but I can't give him too much of a hard time because I've done the very same thing. I mean, how many times have I gone to God, maybe in prayer, asking God for something that truly I already knew what I was planning to do? And so I was just really trying to justify my actions of what I was already planning to do in the first place. Or how many times have I been in conversations with people, and maybe people that I I disagree with, or maybe people that that we don't see eye to eye on something, and they're sharing their perspective, and I'm not listening with a sense of openness. I'm already beginning to prepare my conversation to justify what I currently believe. And sometimes we find ourselves with that posturing with God. Sometimes we find ourselves with that posturing with others. And I think that if we're going to lean into what Jesus has to tell us, he wants to tell us we've got to be people who remain open. We got to be remaining open to God's continued work in our journey that maybe we don't always see it correctly. And maybe I don't always have the right perspective. And maybe I do need to listen and to learn and continue to be shaped by the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I've got to be somebody that remains open. Uh, It kind of reminds me of of one of those makeover shows from quite a long time ago. Uh, I love those makeover shows, whether it's a home makeover, like a fixer-upper or extreme homemaker. There's even a a show called Biggest Loser that was about our own personal makeovers. Uh, But I don't know if you saw this one. There was a show that was called What Not to Wear. Has anybody ever seen this show? It's kind of a unique show, but basically the premise of the show were people whose fashion sense 
didn't make any sense, right? Uh, These people who just kind of dressed in things that had everybody scratching their heads, so much so that somebody who loved that person enough to tell them the truth, they finally contact the show that says, this person needs an extreme makeover to their wardrobe. Now, if I was ever eligible for a show, this one might be the one I was eligible for. Uh, There were seasons in my life that my wife could have called the show and be like, you've got to help my husband out, right? And so I remember when we were coming back from our honeymoon, one of the very first things that my wife did uh, once we became married, she went through my closet and she says, Sean, you can't wear this stuff anymore. I mean, parachute pants, they were cool in the 80s. They are not coming back. Uh, You are not a very big human being. You have no right to wear a double X t-shirt. There are some things that are not okay, right? And what's interesting about it, even, you know, I was probably 25, 26 at the time, still holding on to clothes from high school, and uh, they were obviously were not coming back. But it was interesting. They were, they were clothes I hadn't worn in years, but for whatever reason, I had a hard time letting go of them. It didn't matter how ugly they were. It didn't matter how out of style they were. I, I had a hard time letting them go. And I think the reality is, for many of us, myself included, God still wants to do a makeover in our life. And the truth is, Sometimes there are things in my life that are long-held beliefs, things that were even somewhat deep convictions of mine, that if truth be known, when I really take an honest look at them, they're actually a justification of some pretty unloving postures that I can have in my life. And sometimes they're hard to let go of, but God's not done with his work in my life. And the question becomes, am I willing to remain open, remain open to kind of his extreme makeover that sometimes he wants to do in our journey? Again, the religious leader, he just wants to justify himself, asks Jesus this question, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus, in response to this question, does what only Jesus would do. Jesus tells him a story. And he tells him a parable. In this parable, the second principle we've got to lean into is we've got to be people who resist the excuses. Resist the excuses. Here's the parable that Jesus tells following, verse 31. It says, by chance, uh, a, a priest came along. Uh, it's, it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan where there was the man on the side of the road who had been beaten up and bruised on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in this scenario, it says that by chance, a priest came along. Uh, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. And then a temple assistant, he looked over and he looked at the person lying there and he also passed by on the other side. And so, In Jesus' story about this wounded person, again, who was wounded on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was uh, was actually a road that was known in some circles as the way of the blood. They knew that it was an area that was full of robbers, bandits. If you were to travel there at night or alone, you were very susceptible to this type of thing happening to you. And sure enough, there's a man beating up bloody on the side of the road, but, but, but he hears these footsteps coming. And he goes, oh, it's some religious types of people. It's, a, it, it's somebody who's a Levite. He's a priest. There's also a temple servant. These people will, will surely help me. And it says that they kind of glanced at him, but they kind of avoided eye contact, and they passed on the other side of the road. Now, again, I can't be too hard on them because likely they had their reasons. They, they had their excuses. Maybe, maybe they were incredibly busy. You know, I think sometimes after really, really long weeks that I've had, that if I were to stop and and to do something that was going to be pretty time-consuming and call my wife and tell her I'm going to be late again, maybe that's something I would want to avoid. And so I just kind of passed by. Uh, But maybe there was more at stake for these particular religious leaders. You see, back in their day, if they were to interact with a wounded body, particularly bloody body, maybe one that was, was close to dying, if they were to interact with that individual, it would make them ceremonially unclean. 
there was a seven-day period that they would have to go through this cleansing process. You might call it quarantine. I probably have a higher level of sensitivity for quarantine than I've ever had in my life. I mean, kind of put yourself in their scenario. Let's just say, for example, there was somebody that we knew was infected with COVID-19. You knew that. They were in desperate need of your help. They weren't wearing a mask, and you didn't have one on you either. The question becomes, would you help? Would you put yourself at risk? Would you choose to help even if that meant you had to go under quarantine for quite some time? I don't know what the reasons were, but my guess is they had the reasons. My guess is they had their excuses. And when it came to these particular individuals, when they saw the person on the side of the road, that's what they saw. They saw the inconvenience. But I think what Jesus is compelling us to consider in the story is if we really want to understand what it means to be a neighbor— Like, really, to love our neighbor, we have to be people who resist those excuses, whatever the excuses might be, and we learn to radically, unconditionally pursue courageous love for someone else. So again, we got to be people who remain open. we got to be people who resist excuses. But the last piece is, we've got to be people who who embrace what I would call courageous compassion. Uh, That's how Jesus' story uh, continues, is, is the one who embraced courageous compassion. Here's what he says next. He says, but then, like after this priest and, and Levi, after they, after they passed by, he said, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, look what he felt. It says that he felt compassion for them. You know, sometimes when it's somebody who is somebody that we don't agree with or believe something very different for us, or, or maybe we, we kind of get to the place that we see them hurt in some way, we, we think to ourselves, well, it kind of serves them right. Or they, they may get what they deserved, but that was not the posturing of the Good Samaritan. It says that he was, he, he was moved by compassion. He felt compassion for him. It was that compassion that caused him to do this. It says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. The Samaritan person was moved with compassion. Now, what's interesting about this particular detail, this word for compassion is only used in two of Jesus' parables in the book of Luke. One's right here. Describes the the heart of the Samaritan toward this Jewish person who is wounded on the side of the road. The only other time compassion is used in the gospel of Luke is describing the heart of the father that runs after the prodigal son. And so here you have this Samaritan who's moved with compassion, this what I would call courageous compassion toward the one that would have been considered his adversary. You see, maybe you already know this, but in the first century uh, uh, scenario, Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. I mean, they were like arch enemies. They, they, the Jewish people, they considered Samaritans half-breeds. Uh, they weren't even really fully loved by God or embraced by God. I mean, they, you, you couldn't get a, a stronger racial ethnic barrier than would have been experienced between the Jews and Samaritans. And look what Jesus does. Jesus, being a Jew, tells the story where the wounded person is a Jewish person, and he allows the one that would have been considered the enemy to become the hero of the story. Now, in order to really feel that and experience that, I'd like for us to consider what that would mean if Jesus were to tell the same story in today's terms using maybe groups that stereotypically would be in opposition to each other, what types of groups would Jesus use to tell the same story? 
Again, if you're at a watch party at home or, or if you're kind of watching this with somebody, I would encourage you to kind of think about out loud, even shout out out loud, a couple of different scenarios of groups in our own day, stereotypically, that are opposed to one another. Maybe we would say like this, Jews and Samaritans are the same as Bears fans are to Packers fans, right? Stereotypically, we, we, don't, we don't see eye to eye. Or maybe it's kind of the same as hunters and vegans don't really see things eye to eye. Maybe if Jesus was telling the story today, he would describe the wounded person on the side of the street as an American soldier and make the hero of the story a member of the Taliban. That's pretty offensive, isn't it? But no doubt, Jesus' original hearers would have understood it and experienced it to be a pretty offensive thing for the enemy to become the hero of the story. I mean, if Jesus were telling the story today, maybe he would have put one of the characters in a MAGA hat and the others in a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, right? You know, groups in our day that there are these socioeconomic, sometimes political, sometimes uh, ethnic or racial barriers that are built between people. And Jesus makes a hero out of the apparent enemy. I think there's something that Jesus is trying to get to as he's defining who our neighbor is. And Jesus is telling us that our neighbor is not the person who lives across the street from us. Our neighbor is the one who exists on the other side of the aisle. The one that doesn't look like us. The one that doesn't talk like us, act like us, think like us, or even vote like us. Jesus says, that's the one that we are compelled to love. Now, Jesus doesn't just tell us to love like that with courageous compassion. Jesus modeled what it looks like to be this greatest neighbor. If you follow Jesus and all that's recorded about him in the Gospels, look at all the people that he interacted with. Jesus not only healed Jewish people, he healed the centurion's servant. He healed the servant of a pagan. That Jesus didn't just serve those within the Jewish community, he met the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jesus didn't just interact with those who had all their lives together when it came to the religious faith. Instead, He served the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus didn't just serve the insiders. Jesus called the outsider like Zacchaeus down from the tree in order to really invite himself to his house. What's amazing about Jesus is everywhere Jesus did, Jesus saw the socioeconomic, the political, the, the racial ethnic barriers. And what did Jesus do? Jesus tried to destroy every single one of those barriers. Jesus did not burn bridges. He built bridges every single place that he went. It didn't matter if the people thought like him or acted like him or, or, or believed like him or even voted like him if they were able to do so in that day. Jesus loved regardless. His love was radical. It was unconditional. He was moved with courageous compassion. It's what compelled everything that he did. And Jesus says, if you want to be a follower of mine, don't operate by the rules of this world who try to build barriers between the two. So instead, I want you to follow me radically. And in doing so, you'll be moved with courageous compassion, not just across the street. You'll be moved with courageous compassion across the aisle to serve those who look very different than you do. The question becomes, Are we willing to follow Jesus into places that are very, very uncomfortable? But when he defines our neighbor, when he talks about what it really means to love our neighbor, there are no exception clauses that this religious leader was hoping he would get. You see, the religious leader, for him, he would just only wanted to engage intellectually. For the priest and the Levite, I mean, really, they saw an inconvenience. It was only the despised Samaritan that saw an invitation to love 
like Jesus loved. Here's what I would encourage us to consider. As I think about this story of the Good Samaritan, we always love to put ourselves in the shoes of the Good Samaritan and, and like, we want to be the Good Samaritan. But spiritually speaking, we probably most identify with the wounded person on the side of the road. And the truth is, we were all there because of our sin that lived in separation from our great God, but the one who's the true Good Samaritan is our great God. And he may not have stepped off of a donkey per se, but he stepped off of his throne. He became one of us in the person of Jesus in order to take our hand, to bandage us up, to pick us up, and to restore us into a right relationship with himself. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And may we be people who not only see Jesus as the greatest one who's ever lived this life, but may we be compelled with that same courageous compassion to live in the same way. So what does that look like for us practically? there, There could be a million different application points to a message like this. For some of us, it's just about seeing needs not as an inconvenience, but see it as an invitation. And so maybe when it comes to the neighbor down the road who maybe is a little hard to, to, to get along with, finding out ways, how can we serve them even this week? Uh, can we bring them a meal? Can we help them with their yard? Whatever that may look like, how can we serve that particular neighbor? Or maybe it's about uh, uh, reaching out maybe as a group to our local police department. And we provide a, a meal for the entire police department and really take care of those uh, who suit up in uniform every single day in order to protect us in really what is a very, very volatile time that we live in. Or maybe it's about reaching out to a black brother and sister and just really simply listening to their story and trying to understand things, maybe to, to understand the heart cry and understand a perspective that may be different than anything we've ever experienced or seen, but, but we might move, be moved with compassion to listen more intently, to understand more fully, to love more intentionally. Again, there could be a myriad of examples of how something like this plays out, but I want to I challenge you to take it even one step further. For some of us, there are easy people to serve, and this week, I want to encourage you, don't take the easy way out. Instead, I wanted you to think to yourself, who are the most difficult people in my life to serve? What are their greatest needs? And how can I respond this week? What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no exception clause to that neighbor. But instead, we have to be people who remain open, that we resist all the excuses that we're moved with courageous compassion to walk the steps that Jesus walked as the greatest neighbor. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for you. And God, we're so grateful for this interaction that Jesus had with this religious leader. And God, so many times I find myself in his shoes just wanting to justify what I already think, what I already believe, how I already live. But Father, I just ask that you would convict me personally, you would convict all of us collectively to remain open to how your spirit wants to continue to change us, challenge us, mold us, convict us, to make us into the people who were radically more loving than we've ever been before. God, may we be people who don't operate by the rules of this world that end up building up these barriers and creating uh, division in our world. But God, instead, when we lean into the leaning of your spirit that we wouldn't burn bridges, God, we would build them. And that we will be moved even across whatever the divide is, whatever the line is, whatever the aisle is, that God, that we were committed and willing to love people 
Even those who don't look like us, act like us, think like us, vote like us. God, help us be people that love like you love. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.